It's time to bring in Michael Sokolov, author of The Last Temptation of Rick Pitino. Michael, thank you so much for joining us here today on Iron Sports. Happy to be with you. Ira, what do you have for Michael? Michael, uh, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Um, what a name of the book, The Last Temptation of Rick Pitino, but sort of timely right now uh, because of the fact that the NCAA has almost threw their hands up and said, wow, we're going to now let players profit on their likeness. We've heard it, it's been, your book talks about everything that goes on, and now the NCAA is sort of saying, well, we saw what's been going on. We're just going to let the <laughs> profit on their likeness. But I guess the question would be generally in terms of, you talk about the influence on the shoes, the Adidas, the Nikes, the Under Armors, into college basketball. And maybe talk about a little bit of the show about how they have changed what we look at in, in terms of viewing college basketball. Well, I think it's been an open secret for you know a decade or even two decades that the shoe companies run a lot of stuff about college basketball. You know, they're in charge um, to an extent along with the coaches, the very high-paid coaches, and they have a lot of power. So the scandal that the University of Louisville got caught up in and Kansas and, and several other schools and several other coaches was really the shoe companies uh, getting caught in spreading their considerable money around to really direct certain players to certain schools. Uh, and then there were all these middlemen involved uh, to do all kinds of other nefarious stuff with the shoe company money. So the one thing about your book, you focus, of course, on Louisville and Rick Pitino. Talk about, in terms of when Tom Juritz, the athletic director, comes to Louisville in 2000 and, and, and what he did in terms of changing the school and, and what sport, what role sports, because it's not, you, you focus on Louisville a lot, but it goes on everywhere and there's good and bad. And it's not just, you said athletics became the front porch of the school and the fact that he turned it from a commuter school into a, a school that was, had national reputation based upon the, the sports programs. And, and, and but, but it was sort of, it brings the good and the bad with it. Well, a lot of schools now, want to believe that their sports program is the, quote, front porch. And, you know, the thing that they want to show to the rest of the world. And as you say, there's good and bad with that. But it's a little bit like if you've ever been to a Las Vegas casino and you have to go through the slot machines and the blackjack tables and the craps tables to get to your hotel room. So that's the front porch. And, you know, that's a little problematic in a way. Um the the sports program is the same is the same way at Louisville. That's what they wanted to show to the world. And Tom George, who was the athletic director and really a genius in his own way, uh, not only rebuilt the basketball program that Denny Crum had at once turned into a nationally known program, and he hired Rick Pitino, and he got the city to build him a big NBA style arena. But you know he got. Um, a football team at Louisville to be a national powerhouse, which you know no one ever imagined before. And he got all these people in Louisville to consider these teams, you know, like their pro teams. And money just poured in, and everybody was happy, and everybody was happy until they weren't happy because first the basketball team under Patino, you know, went through two scandals, and then the school itself went through a financial scandal where it turned out that a lot of this athletic money was just about like a slush fund, and it was being used to to pay administrators, you know, massive amounts of money. 
And so when the athletic program fell into trouble, uh, the school uh, whose front porch it was was really diminished as well. Right. I mean, you, you mentioned, and I, I've been to Louisville, I have relatives in Louisville, so I, I mean, I love the town, it's great, but in some ways it, it was a lot like Las Vegas in terms of that the, the sports program in Louisville, there's no pro teams there. So it actually became the team of, like they, they were playing, you said, an NBA-style arena, but they didn't have an NBA team. It's sort of, that's what Vegas became in, in Las Vegas, is that you had this fairly large-sized city of seven, 800,000 people that had no pro teams. But it sort of adopted this school and these teams as its own, especially because, uh, and with the excitement, filling the stadiums and uh, building nicer and better stadiums uh, every year almost. Well, that's exactly right. And one of the interesting things about Louisville is that the Tom George um, and others at Louisville really kept an NBA team out of there. Um, at one point, <laughs> David Stern and others felt that Louisville could have an NBA team. It's a pretty big city. It's got some money. Uh, it's you know an up-and-coming regional city. It's you know not all that unlike um, Salt Lake City or Charlotte or. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other NBA cities. You know, it wouldn't be one of the bigger ones, but it could have an NBA team. And certainly the arena with its, you know, luxury suites and, and you know, beautiful amenities could have an NBA team. But Louisville said, you know what, uh, our basketball team is the NBA team. And the city rallied around it as if it were. And I guess that brings back to the analysis. You spent a lot of time talking to Michael Sokolov, who wrote a tremendous book called The Last Temptation of Rick Pitino's out at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and those books, a tremendous book about the scandal itself with Louisville and also just in general, everything that's going on in college sports and in college basketball particularly. But so Rick Pitino takes his team to three Final Fours, is the team's perennially one of the top teams. Uh, and then he gets, he has an affair with a staffer and it became salacious. We don't have to go into details of that. But then he comes back after that and he wins the national championship 2012-2013 with only one NBA player potential to ever play in the NBA on that team. Uh, and then he's toast of the town. Uh, but, but then the next scandal, the fact that they was found that they were having strippers at the dorms with 14 times they had parties again. But most coaches, it's hard to say what other coach in America. And we've had, we have, you know, big name coaches. I don't know who else could have survived the two scandals that he had and, and still keep the power that he had. Well, I think that it's remarkable that he survived both of those scandals, especially what was called Strippergate, which was a series of parties over three or four years in the basketball dorm, steps from Rick Pitino's office, in which you know strippers and escorts came in and, and entertained and had sex parties for recruits and for some current players. And Rick Pitino said, oh my gosh, I knew nothing about that. And maybe he didn't, but when you're in charge of you know a, a business the size of what what Louisville basketball was, if it's a public company, whatever it is, you're held responsible usually for the things that happen under you. And this, the person who organized these parties was not some employee Patino never met. It was his former point guard and and uh, somebody on his staff. So he survived that, and, and it was a testament to how popular he was in Louisville and what an amazing coach Rick Pitino really was. I mean, Rick Pitino is a gifted coach. So, you know, one of the reasons I called the book The Last Temptation of Rick Pitino is the recruiting scandal a year ago or more than a year ago at this point uh, 
uh, was really, you know, the the third temptation, and that's the one that he could not survive. And you mentioned in your book that the skill of Rick Spatino is the comment is that he could beat you with his players, or if you want to give him your players, he'll beat you with your players too. That that he was, and when he and he had won with not the top names, as opposed to the schools that were getting the top five and top ten groups and the Zion Williamsons of the world, he wasn't really getting those players. He was developing even Donovan Mitchell, who is the player at Louisville who now plays at uh, uh, Utah, who's a star, who wasn't coming in as a top recruit. But right. but then he it's surprising that the skill that brought him down was like Brian Bowen Jr., a top recruit that decided to go there. So talk a little about this whole Brian Bowen Jr. and how that what role he played into finally bringing down Rick Pitino. Well, first of all, you know you mentioned about Pitino not getting top recruits. I mean, he won a national championship and went to Final Fours without without any lottery picks. That's that doesn't happen. But but that's the skill he had. Brian Bowen Jr., whose nickname is Tugs, uh, was you know a nice player, a top twenty player probably, not the next LeBron James, but a really good player who everybody wanted. And uh, his recruiting went on and on and on and on. Uh, and he did not declare until the June of his senior year, which should have been an alarm bell for Patino right there. Um, and he declared for Louisville. Some, you know, nobody thought he was going to go to Louisville. Well, when the FBI broke the case against college basketball, it turned out that money had been paid to Brian Bowen Jr. Well, let me back up to Brian Bowen Jr.'s father. Uh, money had been paid to direct him to Louisville by Adidas. Um, it would appear that at least one Louisville assistant coach and perhaps two were involved in these transactions. Uh, and Patino once again said, well, I didn't know anything about it. Um, you know, the victim in this is Brian Bowen Jr. He lost his college career. The money went to his father. Uh, Tugs uh, seemed to know nothing about it. And it turned out his father was taking money uh, for his son's basketball playing, you know, going back to when he was in his mid-teens, taking money from to play on AAU teams. You know, the really sad thing is this is not unusual. There are parents, there are uncles, there are shoe company representatives, there are assistant coaches. There's a whole system of people profiting off a young basketball talent. And often the kid not only doesn't get any money, as Brian Bowen didn't, but also doesn't even know anything about it. And and that's really, to me, the tragedy in this thing. So, I mean, going, going looking forward in terms of what the NCAA may they just issued last week those uh, rules that said just a vote that said we're going to let people profit on likeness, but stay tuned for what we're going to we're going to do. What do you see? I mean, at what level? I mean, when you say profit on likeness, then why can't these high school kids sell shoe companies? I mean, is that good? is it going to go that level in terms of them actually having shoe deals? It's their likeness. Shoe companies want to be involved with them. Where do you think that? Where do you think is going to happen with the NCAA with these rules? I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. I would be very skeptical. Of, of what the NCAA has announced. It was in reaction to a law passed in California um, and and that's on the sort of, that's been proposed in various other states that, that athletes, college athletes, must be able to benefit from, from their likeness, from their fame. The NCAA said, yes, we want to do that, but they gave absolutely no details and they put a little, a lot of qualifications in into that, into the statement they made, you know, it has to still look like college sports and et cetera, et cetera. 
Look, in the NCAA's defense, and and I say that sort of advisedly because there, there's sometimes there's no defense for them, it is really complicated. It takes a lot of thought. It takes a lot of goodwill. Are you going to have one or two kids on a college team who have deals with a shoe company and, and a local car dealership and they're signing autographs and they're making a million dollars a year and everybody else is an amateur? You know, maybe, and maybe if they're... Um, good enough to get that. Maybe that's the right way to go, but obviously it takes some thought. It could be problematic. But one way or the other, kids who are worth millions or hundreds of thousands, whatever it is, kids who are worth something need to be able to to get that money. That's, you know, the time of, of the paternalistic, you got to wait. I think that's, I think that's just going to end. Well, I mean, it gets back to what my first question in terms of the shoe companies like Adidas, they sponsor these camps. They're involved with these kids when they're younger. But then Adidas gave Louisville a 10-year, $160 million contract. So the school, has, they're so involved with the school. So clearly what was happening is that the school, the teams were like Adidas was like, well, I'm paying so much to Louisville and I have people in my camp. I want the best players to go to schools that we're giving money to. So that's, that's right. like the feeder system. And I guess that's what, what the issue is. And then how are they going to control it going forward, you know, with those situations? Well, it's like a whole game and it's, it's money, you know, just, just whipping around the table. And, and there's, there's one uh, set of people at the table, uh, the, the players, the talent, uh, who are generating billions of dollars. And I mean billions and, and even more now that we have, um, legalized gambling, uh, you know, oncoming. You know, this is the talent that generates the money, and and it bypasses them, and it can't bypass them anymore. And you know, in some senses, you could say it hasn't bypassed them because they've been cut in under the table, um, but they haven't been cut in to the degree they should be. And and there's risk for them because when one of these scandals breaks, it is usually the kids more than the adults, meaning the coaches and the athletic directors. It's the kids who pay, and that's been true going back more than a century to the earliest basketball scandals involving names like Connie Hawkins and, and others who were caught up in the point-shaving scandals you know, going back to the 1950s and 60s. No, I really appreciate you bringing that up because like, even with Reggie Bush, he had to get back his Heisman Trophy, and, and 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 all the benefits went to his family. I mean, it, it was not proved that Reggie got any benefits really, and, and he had to give up as the only person out to give back a Heisman Trophy. And he's done well for himself now, but I felt I felt bad about that when it's that situation. But um, yes. we just talked to Michael Sokolov, uh, Last Temptations of Rick Pitino. It's uh, available from Penguin Press. It's in bookstores online, and uh, uh, and you can read through eBooks and everything. So it's a but it's just, I I think the book is great. And even if you're not like oh, I'm not so interested in Pitino or Louisville, if you want to get an insight into college basketball and what college sports really is going to, I think it's a great read, and I would suggest everybody buy it. So, Michael, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Thanks so much for reaching out to me. I appreciate it. <laughs>